You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. Well, good morning, church. All right. For those that don't know me, I am Fredo Hernandez, just a plain old guy that the Lord is blessed to be able to stand before you today. We are in the second day of 2022, and I pray that your New Year's resolutions are still going strong. (laughs) What a great place to be in a building surrounded by God's people. I pray that that continues for me throughout this year to continue to grow in the Lord and his word and his truth and to be surrounded by like-minded people. I hope that will be the same for you as well. Today, we will be in Acts 20. So sometimes I wonder when a preacher gets up to preach and the church isn't into a new series or anything like that. They're like in between series like we are today. uh, How does the teacher get to the text that they're at? Like out of the whole Bible, how did the Lord direct them to where they're at today? If you ever wondered that, I hopefully, hopefully can give you a little bit of insight of the matter. In my case, it's pretty simple. I actually taught this passage about a month, month and a half ago at another church, and they were in Acts 20. So why didn't reinvent the wheel? So starting next Sunday, though, we will begin in the book of Mark. I am excited and looking forward to that. Acts 20 breaks down into three sections. Uh, The first part is verses 1 through 6 is when Paul goes to Macedonia, when he meets the men there. Paul is collecting funds for the church of Jerusalem. In verse 6, the verb is changes to we. So it seems that is when Luke rejoins Paul and Philippi and they head to Troas. Okay. The second section is between seven, verses 7 and 16, and that is when Paul begins to talk with the people in Troas. There's a lot of interesting things going on in that section. It starts by saying the first day of the week. This is pointing out that the early church and still today meets at the first day of the week. For a couple of reasons, I assume. Jesus was raised from the dead on the first day of the week. But today, but in the early church, the days of the first day of the week was a work day, unlike today. So when we study this section and read that Paul talks until midnight and then the early day, we've got to understand that these people came after working a full day of work. Then they all meet together and go into an upper room of a house. They break bread together and they listen to God's teaching. Now in this section, there is a young man named Eutychus. He was described as a young man. Eutychus grew tired and fell asleep. He was actually sitting in the window when he fell asleep, and he fell from a third-story window. So it is a warning to all of those who feel like they're going to fall asleep in church today. (laughs) The third, third section is from verses 17 through 38. This section is from the leaders of the bodies of Christ. In this section, Paul calls for the elders of the church of Ephesus. 
He reminds them of the past, the present, and the future. And those reminders, I believe, are still true today. And I hope to touch on all these sections today, the Lord is willing. So let us start off with a word of prayer. Bow with me. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I give, come to you with thanks. Lord, I thank you for waking me up to see another day of your creation. Lord, I thank you for the clothes that is on my back and the food that you have provided for me. Lord, I am thankful for the job that you have provided for me, that it provides all these things. Lord, I pray today as I stand here for you, Lord, that you would use me as an instrument for your glory. Allow my words to fall on deaf ears, but allow your words to pierce the heart of men. Lord, I just ask you to be with me in all things for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us turn into our Bibles. Turn on, swipe, Google, whichever way is best for you. Let's find ourselves in Acts 20, starting in verse 1. And it reads, After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and, depart, and departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he gained, came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, and he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. When we first read this, hopefully we don't forget what the up, there was an uproar in chapter 19. Uh, the uproar was started by a silversmith who built images, and they called these images gods. They were made man images, and they started uh, saying that their way of life was going to be endangered. And they also said that their temple of their so-called god, Artemis, would be counting as nothing as well. The temple of Artemis was actually one of the seven, world, uh, seven wonders of the ancient world. But the preaching of God's word made all of this come to be about, that people were starting to get scared about their way of life, of their man-made images, of their man-made temples that they had their gods in. So after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples to encourage them when I read that word disciples, it makes me think of the 12 that was with Jesus. But in reality, that, uh, it was the early body of Christ. We ourselves are called disciples of Christ. The word dis disciple means a learner or a pupil. So Paul is going to everybody encouraging them. As the body of Christ, we need encouragement. We need each other to lean upon each other as we walk in our walk with Christ. And the encouragement reminds me of this year's football in White House. I know that there's a lot of bowl games going on right now. I'm not a real big football fan, but I like to try to go every now and then. And when I went to a couple of games in White House, White House is where my daughter goes and where my sons went. I didn't go to very many games because I'm a Fairweather fan and White House is not that good. <laughs> I think their record ended up being like two and eight for the season. And the games that I went to was not one of the two. 
But it amazed me that when I went and I saw the cheerleaders, White House could be losing by a ton. But looking at those cheerleaders, you would thought that they would be winning. They could be losing 21 to 0. But those cheerleaders would still be cheering and supporting their team as if they were contending for the state championship. The church should be a place of heat that stirs people up. People need to be encouraged in their walk of Christ. Sometimes you may be the one that needs to be encouraged. But when you're not that person, we should be the cheerleader who encourages, encourages others on. Let's pick it back up in verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked to them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms and said, Don't be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a while longer, until daybreak. And so he departed. And they took the youth away alive. And we're not little comforted. Now, the first day of the week being stated here has been discussed a lot with people that are way more knowledgeable than me. One theologian states that some should suggest that this is Saturday evening rather than Sunday evening. They say that the Jews reckon time the first day of the week would have been Saturday around like 6 o'clock. But however, the Romans reckon time like we do from midnight to midnight. And Troas is a Gentile city. Luke is writing to Theopolis, who is a Gentile Greek name. So it is almost certain that the Roman time is being used here. In any case, the Bible says that it is the first day of the week and not the seventh day. So it's a Sunday. No matter how you cut it, it is an assembly of the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day is the way the early church referred to Sunday. This is the day that Jesus rose from the dead, as well as the day upon the church began. We also have to remember in those days of the church that it was a work day, that most of the people worked a full-time job. They would work all day but still found themselves in the evening time to come together and learn. I dwell upon that as I get home sometimes working over late and were to think that if I was to have the time to come together. It also stated that they broke bread. This is actually the Lord's Supper like we just took. I've read that some historians say that this is actually would be some of the people's meal for the day. So it would have been a, a good portion, right? In verse 8, Luke tells us that we, there were many lamps in the upper room. 
it awes me to think that we are reading a firsthand eye account of what's going on. Luke is there and he's seeing and witnessing everything that's going on. So when Eutychus started to fall asleep, I feel for the young man. He probably worked all day, just had his fill with the Lord's Supper, and his eyes were beginning to get heavy. It's not that Paul's message wasn't good or that he wasn't trying to be his best attentive. It reminds me of when Jesus told his disciples to watch and to pray. But they couldn't. They fell asleep. He said that the spirit was willing, but the flesh is weak. So it seems to me as Eutychus. So when his flesh gave out and he finally fell asleep, literally, he fell out of a third story window. And when Luke found him, who was a doctor by trade, and pronounced him dead, rest assured he was dead. But Paul came down to him and threw himself on him and prayed, and his life was given back to him. Eutychus was a very lucky that Paul was there, very fortunate. That is actually the, the meaning of his name is the fortunate one. There's a bad joke about him, and it says, Eutychus too, if you fell out of a third window's third story window. Also, it's a good reminder of us. That if you feel like you need to take a nap, go ahead. But I warn you that Paul is not here today. <laughs> so nap at your own risk. I read this story and I think, why is it in here? And Paul would be talking to the elders in the next section. And he tells them to be alert. And I think this passage can resemble the same thing for us. That we need to continue to be alert, to stay awake. Sometimes it feels like in my Christian walk that it can be an automatic, like I'm on cruise control with our faith, and we need to stay alert to see what God is doing around us and through us. We don't need to fall asleep in our race. I used to jog a lot, way more than I do now, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it so much that I would pay to do it. I know it's silly, but I did. I ran a couple races, and one of the races I ran a couple years ago it was at Keepersaw. It was in the fall. It was a little bit kind of chilly outside, and I was running a 10K, which was just a little bit over six miles. And with the 10K, there was a 5K that was going to be running alongside us, but we, we ran different routes. But at the end, we would all join together, and we would finish at the same finish line. I like to try to plan ahead. So weeks in advance, I would be sitting there studying the map, because they gave you a map of where the, the race goes. So I'd always be looking at it. And if I had the opportunity, I would actually run it beforehand but at keeper saw you couldn't do that when race day came i was standing in the front ready for the announcer to give us the call 
When he did, I started out pretty strong. There was three of us. There was me, a young boy with a hat that was on backwards and a, another gentleman that looked pretty serious. He had on a white tank top and black shorts. About two and a half or three miles, the young man fell off. He couldn't keep his pace. He started off strong, but he fell off. He got winded. He couldn't maintain. When we got to about mile four, the guy in the white tank top started pulling ahead of me. About mile five, I couldn't see the guy no more. And I started telling myself, we need to pick it up. The last mile, mile and a half, you run in a vineyard and, it, and you, start to ride, you start to combine yourself with the 5K runners. So I started to see people in that last part, but never the guy in white. When I started to turn into the vineyard, I almost missed it, but I remembered from my studying. The course took a sharp left turn as soon as you get into the end of the vineyard. If you weren't noticing and if you weren't paying attention, you would miss it. And so I took that last short turn and could see the finish line. And I don't know why, but all these races seem to put the finish line on the top of a hill. And it makes me think of my Christian walk that it's going to be up a hill. But that's okay. So I took off. I saw the finish line. I took off running as hard as I could up that hill to get my second place prize for the second year in a row. I came across that line and I saw my wife and my daughter and they were so happy to see me. They were excited, but now I wasn't very excited. But anyhow, my wife said, I can't believe you won. I said, that was mean. I said, no, I was in second. I said, I never caught the guy in white. She said, no, sweetie, you're the first one to come across with the 10K tag on. Because when they give you a 10K, it's white, and the 5K was gray, the tags with your numbers on them. I was like, really? She said, yeah, you're the first one that came across. And then I anticipated on waiting to get the results off the computer that comes on. And sure enough, it had my name up there, Fredo Hernandez, first place. And I asked myself, I said, what happened to the guy in white? I waited about 10 minutes, and here he comes across the finish line. And I walked over there and I asked him, I said, man, what happened? He said, man, when I was running, I zoned out, which is easy to do. Your mind starts to get on different things. He said, I never saw that turn. And I ran about a half mile to three quarters mile more than I should have. And he got second place. I felt bad for him. Because he was beating me the whole time. And not by a little bit, by a lot. I don't really feel like I won that race. That was one of the last races I ran. I tell that story to, remember, to remind us not to fall asleep in our Christian walk. To stay awake and be alert. To see what God is doing around us and through us. 
as we run our race. Now, this last section of Acts 20, Paul calls for the elders of Ephesus. I'll try to be not long and put a bow on this. So let's pick it back up in verse 17, and it reads. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And they came to him, and he said to them, You yourselves know how long... How I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me. Through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and in our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This first part is a reminder. Paul is going to have to remind them the past, the present, and then the future. This part he is telling them, remember, of how he taught them in public. And he was not ashamed. He taught them in houses of the gospel. When I read this part, it seems like he is using his own life experiences as an example to the elders of what they need to do. Don't shrink back when times get tough. To oversee your flock in public and from house to house. You see, elders are shepherds. They should be shepherds of the flock. To help alongside the pastor. In verse 22, it picks back up and it reads, And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me, there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But do not, I do not account my, my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among who I've been gone about proclaiming the kingdom, will see my face again. Can you see Paul's humility in these scriptures? People and prophets have been telling him not to go to Jerusalem because it was going to end bad for him. But he is a godly-minded, thinking less of himself and focused on the kingdom. Let's continue in verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flocks in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that your three years I did not cease night or day to abonish everyone with tears. Paul is yet again telling the elders of the, of the elders of the church to be alert. 
Why? Because false teachers, and also to keep themselves in check. False teachers are nothing new. They were present in the Old Testament, present in the New Testament. Jesus, Jesus spoke of them, and they're still present today. In Revelation 13, it tells us that the false prophet would look like. John says, Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth, and he had two horns, like a lamb, and spoke like a dragon. It looked like a lamb. False prophets will always look like a lamb of the flock. Be alert. Let us pick it back up in verse 32 and finish the chapter. And now I commend to you, to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. With me. And all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus. How he himself said... It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of them, of them all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the words he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Paul tells the elder, elders, he commends them to God, that's the same verbiage is used when, God, when Jesus takes his last breath on the cross. He cries out to God and he commits his spirit to him. He entrusts him with it. So as the elders and overseers, we are entrusted with God's flock. That he has bought with his blood by dying on a cross. We are to be in our word daily. That is able to build us up. He also stated that he never coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. We cannot covet what God has blessed someone else. Whether it be their talents or tithes or earthly blessings. Lastly, Paul warns them not to be lazy. He says that he has shown them by working hard, we must help the weak. As an elder in his body, I have sat with the other elders of this church, and I can say that this body is truly blessed to have the men serve them as the elders of whom I am the least. Our prime example is Jesus giving up his life for us, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God. A thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born into the likeness of men. Men and women of the church and leaders of the church, this chapter touches all of us. I think it's telling us to be alert, to stay awake. Paul traveled the world telling people of Jesus Christ. 
the same as today, but the Lord is allowing our mission field to be brought to us. We don't have to go anywhere if we just be alert and can see it. People are coming in waves to the state of Texas from all over the United States and elsewhere. We cannot have an earthly mindset and draw a line in the sand because we don't agree what our government or state officials are doing or what their state is doing or what they believe from what their state is doing or what their state stands for. We have to have a heavenly mindset that our mission field is here and I know it's so ready to be picked. Are you ready? Are you awake? Are you alert to see how God can use you this year starting today? Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.